for many people, having their first car is a sign of independence. It's freedom. But how do you take care of that? How do you avoid having your freedom turn into a terrible prison? In this episode, we will talk about what you need to know about owning your first car. Welcome to Adulting, the podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to Adulting. I'm Harlan Landis, and I am here with Miranda Marquit. How are you doing, Miranda? I am doing well. How are you doing, Harlan? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yay. So today we're talking about cars. Um, I remember my first, you know, I was able to drive my parents' car when I was in high school. Um, and so I didn't have my own car, but they allowed me to drive that. I ended up taking that car to college a few years later, and I didn't know what I was doing with it. But when I graduated, and here's a fun story, I graduated, I got, uh, my parents got me an old used car as a gift, and it was certainly a fine car, got around, but I didn't know the first thing about it or how to take care of it. You know, maybe that's a common story when you get something as a gift, you don't really put in the research in order to take care of it properly. Well, I didn't know about the whole oil thing, and uh, the engine uh, blew and, um, yeah, I was stranded on a highway for quite a bit of time um, because I didn't know that you had to change the oil once in a while. So uh, I learned from that lesson. Um, and uh, hopefully if you're first getting into cars now, you will learn and understand that you have to check that oil and you have to replace oil. If you learn anything else from today, Change your oil. That's it. Check your oil. I think this is hilarious because uh, stereotypically speaking, that should have been my story. But I've known about checking my oil and taking care of my oil since I was 16. <laughs> and, well, 15, really, because that's when I got my driver's license. <laughs> so my dad made sure I knew like all of that stuff. So I think it's. Yeah. Yeah. You had a you had an advantage there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to start off with that that fun little story about how I totally destroyed an engine and it ended up costing me lots of money. So uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about how millennials are buying lots of cars now. Yeah, well, for the first time, millennials uh, bought cars in greater numbers than Generation X did back in 2013, 2014. So. Uh, Car buying is the thing still, and uh, but there, but it's different. Uh, the way they buy cars is different. Uh, you might be more interested in a smaller car. Uh, many uh, millennials are actually fine using public transit. I personally really enjoy public transit. I try to avoid driving at all costs. It doesn't work so well now that I live out west, but uh, I do try to avoid driving. Um, but yeah, 67% of millennials surveyed, this is J.D. Power, this is information from J.D. Power, 67% of millennials have their needs met by public transit, although 64% say they love their cars, 
Millennials are also three times more likely than baby boomers and Gen Xers to abandon their vehicles if the car gets too expensive to keep. So that's one of the big issues when you start thinking about buying a car. Can you afford it? You certainly need to understand that there are many different options in terms of buying a car. You can you can buy a clunker, a junker, jalopy, uh, just for a low amount of money, and it'll last you know a certain amount of time, which may be all you can afford at one point. Um, but as you get further along in your career, maybe you can start to afford uh, reliable transportation. It's and you may have a job that requires reliable transportation before you can even afford it. So there's there's a lot of things that you have to think about before you start buying a car. Yeah. And, and so as you start thinking about it, what are some of the things you should keep in mind? I mean, we've talked about, do you need that reliable transportation and does public transit meet your needs? That's one of the first things to think about. If you can't, if you can't afford to buy a car, uh, can you afford not to? Because in a place where I live, public transit is non-existent. I mean, it just is. Yeah. And you have to have a car if you're going to go to work. You just do. One thing that I had to find when I was struggling was that, you know, where I lived, public transit was very difficult for lots of areas. I had to move somewhere where I could have convenient public transportation, somewhere where I can just take a short walk, jump on a train. Um, or, you know, I mean, the other options um, for me would have been, you know, taking taking buses and making the whole thing work uh, at, uh, you know, the at the expense of a whole lot of time being spent on transportation. And that's even somewhere where transportation is relatively good in New Jersey. Um, you go to other places in the country and you have no public transit options. And um, if you can't afford a car, maybe you have to think about, you know, finding a way to fashion your life in such a way that you can afford public transportation or you don't need, um, you know, that much in, in a way of a car. And that might involve moving somewhere that you're not prepared to move to. Yeah, well, yeah. And that's that's a whole thing. I just went back east and had a trip back east where I was carless almost the entire time. Uh, my parents happened to be out there for part of the time I was there. And so we split the cost of a rental car because there was one point in my trip where I did need the car uh, because of the public transit issues. But for most of it, whether I was traveling from Philadelphia to New York up to Hartford, Connecticut, there were trains, there there were buses, there were ways to get from point A to point B that didn't require cars. Uh, now that I'm back west, uh, it's uh, I can drive to Boise in four hours or I can take the, the bus and that takes eight hours because of stops. So that those are my options once I get out west and then just getting around town, it's all spread out. I can't just it's not planned. Uh, it's a very suburban layout. And so I can't just walk to the corner grocery. The, the grocery store is mile, more than a mile away. I can't schlep my 
weeks worth of groceries. I can't carry them. Living living in cities <laughs> makes it easy to walk to places you need to go, and it's certainly a lot less expensive from a transportation standpoint to get what you need to do for for your daily living, whether it's it's walking to work or taking a subway to work or taking a bus or a train. These these are all possibilities, or even biking. Um, biking is a huge thing in cities now, uh, for the most part, or it's, at least it's starting to become one. And it's a lot more affordable than owning a car and taking care of a car. Uh, and if if you try to have that kind of lifestyle in a location that's not designed for it, you're going to be running into trouble. And and what might work for you, Miranda, while you're on vacation, um, I mean, you know, it, it's, you can probably jump around between trains and rides from people. But we're talking about on a on a day to day basis when, you know, going to work, coming home, doing what you need to do in order to, you know, f- feed your family. Um, if you're going to have, you know, you need reliable transportation if you want to keep your job. So, you know, the options are having a car that you know is going to get you there at, or having reliable public transportation. And not every community is set up for that. And that's a really good point that I made it work because, of course, I was on vacation, but it's different if you have to do it every day. So if you end up in a position where you do need a car, uh, how do you decide what you can afford? I mean, we're talking about money here, right? Well, the best option is to just do what you can afford to pay in cash. And a lot of the time that's you know, if you don't have at least $20,000 in cash lying around, you're not going to be able to buy a new car, that's for sure. So you want to look at used first, and you want to look at something that you can find the best value value for, something that's reliable, and it's going to get you where you need to go, um, you know, and just realize that you're going to have to pay in order to do that. And it involves saving up money and doing what you can. Part of that, too, is figuring out if you end up having to borrow. I I know you talked about, you know, saving it up and and paying cash and and getting what you can. In some cases, you know, maybe it does make sense for you to borrow. I know I I borrow to pay for my cars. I'm a bad personal finance writer. But uh, when you do do that, you need to make sure that you can make any of your payments with ease. If you do borrow, you need to make sure all of your payments can be made with ease. Uh, you need to look at your other debt uh, because you do want to try and keep your total debt to income ratio very low um, if you can. So if you have other debt, then maybe you, you need to think about paying some of that down before you take on a car loan or rethink think a lot of things about your life. Yeah, we can't talk about borrowing as if it's something that someone can just decide to do. It's, that's true, too. Uh, you have to have a credit history. You have to be able to qualify for a loan um, if you're not borrowing from a family friend, which, which of course, or a family or a friend, which, of course, is a potential solution here. Um, you know, it's not the greatest solution, but we need to, you, you know, you have to build up a credit history before you can go out and get a loan from a car dealer or from the bank. Right. And my first car loan was co-signed by my parents. I was for, I was fortunate in that uh, my parents thought that I had showed responsibility and they kind of took me through the steps and said, well, hey, let's figure out, you know, what what payments you can make with ease, because if you don't have a lot of credit and you you can have a co-signer, but that comes with its own pitfalls, which we can talk about another time. But 
Yeah, you do need to have that credit. Uh, you can sometimes get a car loan with bad credit, but you will pay a lot more for it and it will be very disappointing. It's, so it's not just the car payment itself that you have to afford, but it's it's all the maintenance and repair that goes into it. And sure, it's a whole lot less than owning a house, but still you have to consider what it's going to cost to maintain your car. And if you if all you can afford up front is enough for, um, you know, a a clunker, then keeping that maintained is going to be much harder because you have to do more work on the car itself. So maybe learning how to take care of the car yourself, learning how to do repairs, learning how to maintain it is going to be helpful in saving some money. Yeah. And and it really can. One of the things that I've really thought was interesting about my youngest brother is he, a lot of the time he'll change his own oil and he changed out his own brake pads at one point on his car. Uh, and if you especially get some of these older cars that aren't so fiddly and don't have so many special requirements, you can still learn how to, to take care of it for uh, in a lot of these ways. So that is something to consider if you have the inclination and the time to learn how to take care of some of your own car repairs you can do that it's harder with new cars though because so many of them have new systems and they're computerized and they have all these gadgety electrical things going on so it's not always easy to learn how to repair cars um like you could in the old the old times yeah, certainly all the technology that's in cars today makes it very difficult for the, you know, for, for any particular individual to have the, the skills and the tools necessary to, to do some of the more uh, complicated repairs. Right. But it is a good point that you do need to think about that because regular maintenance, like you said, you know, you've got to go change. You've got to have the oil changed. And if you don't do it yourself, it's going to cost you between 30 and 50 dollars to have somebody else change the oil. And that needs to be done regularly. Uh, air filters, windshield wipers, fuel filters, brake pads, tires, all of these things need to be regularly taken care of in order to keep your car running properly. Okay, so let's talk now about the process of buying a car. All right, so now that we've figured out how much we can afford, perhaps we've looked into some of the monthly payment calculators. If we have to do a loan or we have the cash set aside, we have to figure out what we what our options are, right? We have to figure out what the possibilities we have for finding a car within that financial restriction. And depending on how big that, how big our finances are and how much we can extend ourselves, that's going to, you know, severely limit what we can potentially buy. Um, You know, a good place to start is Auto Trader, Craigslist, I've sold cars. I've sold a car on Craigslist and I've sold a car on Auto Trader. And those are both great places to go to find cars that can fit whatever your budget is, especially if you're looking at used cars. Yeah, and other good places to look if you want to get an idea of how much a car costs. Uh, Edmunds and Kelly Blue Book are both good places to go to get an idea of what you can expect to pay for new used and to understand the pricing that manufacturers and dealers use when they're displaying their cars. Yeah. So, you know, the question is going to be, are you going to go to a dealer to buy a car or are you going to, you know, look at at local ads to, to, to buy a car? 
And a lot of times dealers will also advertise. But, you know, we're talking about, you know, finding someone who's not selling their car through a dealer. So you're going to do this private party kind of deal or you're going to go to a dealer. Yeah. And you you kind of needed to, to decide for yourself what's going to work best for you. If you have the cash, you can pretty much go where you want because you can pay cash and cash is accepted anywhere. But if you know you're going to need to finance your car, then you may have fewer options. You may need to get the car loan approved from your bank and get a special letter uh, before you do a private party sale so that they know that you're serious and they know you have access to the money. Or you may have to go with a dealer who has an arrangement with a finance company who can help you. It really depends on your credit situation, uh, whether you're borrowing and what kind of cash you can pay. So what are the things that we have to look for if we go to a dealer to buy a car? The first thing is to make sure that you avoid letting them talk you into more expensive loan because you're going to show up and you're going to know how much you can afford and you're going to say, oh, well, I and then, then they'll ask you, what is your monthly payment? And you'll say your monthly payment and then they'll try and sell you a more expensive car because they can sell you a more expensive car and tell you that you can get a 96 month financing (laughs) or that's a real thing 96 month financing um or you know something like or 84 months financing so you're you're looking at seven or eight years here and they'll tell you oh well you can get this this car for that same payment and it's a more expensive car and you'll be financing it for longer and you will be paying out the nose. Everything about that loan will be more expensive. The interest rate will be higher. Everything will just be more expensive. And so you need to watch out for that and say, okay, it's not just about monthly payment. It's also about total cost of the car and and know what your number is there. Yeah. Just in general, if you go to a dealer, you're speaking to a salesperson. The salesperson is going to try to sell you something more than what you're expecting to buy. And coming into the situation, having done the research, having no exact knowing exactly what you want. And I wouldn't even step into a dealer until I've emailed several dealers to say, this is this. This is what I want. Do you have it ready to go? How much is it going to cost? What's the bottom line? Um, So if you come prepared, you'll there's such a smaller chance of someone selling you something that you don't need and it's just going to cost you more money in the long run. Um, It's okay to want some of the bells and whistles, but as long as you know that going in and it's something that you can afford and you resist the temptation to, you know, to to listen to the salesperson on the upsell, they're going to try to do something. It's okay. It's their job. Expect them to do it and just be you know, be very clear on what it is that you can afford to do and want to do and stick to it um, and shop around. Uh, If you're going to go to a dealer, that's really so important is just being um, as as least susceptible to the sales tactics as possible. It's impossible because they're professionals. They sell cars every day. You don't buy a, a new car every day. You don't buy a used car every day. You don't buy cars every day. So you don't. They are at such an advantage, and there's no way to completely eliminate that advantage. But you can come prepared. That is the best thing to do. Yeah. And another thing you can do, especially if you're buying used, whether you're buying used from a dealer or buying used from a private party, is ask if you can have your own mechanic look over the car. 
Uh, I know people who have gotten real horrible lemons because they just took the seller's word for it. And not every state has the same lemon laws and not every situation is going to cover you. So find out if you can have your mechanic do a once over before you buy. You don't want to put your money into it if it's got serious problems. You have to find that trusted mechanic who's going to be on your side a little bit. And, uh, you know, you should look for some kind of contingency. So if if something isn't right or the mechanic says that some repairs are needed, you have some recourse with the seller. Um, you can either take some money off of the payment uh, that you're making or you can have them pay you to do some of the repairs. And you should be upfront about this. You should talk about it when you go to, um, you know, a private seller. Definitely. I think being upfront and honest is one of the most important things. And then another thing to consider, I really liked how you talked about using the internet and emailing several dealers first. And we're fortunate now that we live in a time where technology, you don't have to go from dealer to dealer if you don't want you can use autotrader.com or cars.com, get an idea of what you want, see what there is out there, and then start emailing dealers. You don't have to even leave your home. And they can start bidding and, and offering you deals over email without you having to drive all over the place. It's great. If time is more important to you than money, if you happen to be in that situation uh, where you can afford some help, if you go to a service like AAA, they have a car buying service where they will go out, they will find a good deal, they will negotiate on your behalf, and you will just have to pay a fee to AAA in order to use this service, regardless of whether you're a member. And you uh, you save all the hassle. You you have you have uh, some recourse if something doesn't go perfectly. But they are working on your behalf to get you uh, a good deal. So when you have the money to spare, say you're buying a new car and you want to be sure you're doing it right, consider using a car buying service that is going to cost a little bit extra money, but you'll have a lot more comfort with the idea that things are going to go well and you're not going to be um, tricked into doing something that you don't need to do. I like that idea. My next car, man, I'm, I'm using a car buying service. That sounds amazing. <laughs> So what happened? Because, you know, before I, just, I never really had to do the legwork for buying a car and I don't really want to. So <laughs> so now that you have your car, uh, what are you going to do to take care of it? What do you need to know about taking care of your car once you have it? The, the best way to, to start that, uh, especially if you don't have someone who's kind of told you how to maintain a car um, and given you the, uh, the education that you need in order to do it, start by reading the manual. The, the manuals used to come with the cars. I think for new cars, a lot of times they're just online now and you have to download it. But yes, go through that manual page by page so you understand as much as possible about how to operate and maintain the car. Uh, then you won't miss things like checking the oil <laughs> and, uh, you know, knowing, um, you know, what all the features are. Uh, so, you know, if you ever have to put the seats down, you know how to do that. Important stuff. That is important stuff. Knowing how to put the seats down is hugely important. Um, so, yeah, make sure you follow the maintenance schedule. Once you've looked in your manual, they'll have a schedule of maintenance when you need to do a transmission flush, when you should uh, have, take other steps and follow that maintenance schedule. And you may grumble about having to pay money to have the regular upkeep, but 
it's a lot less expensive to take care of things now and properly maintain your car now than it is to fix a problem later. Come on, Harlan, tell us how much that engine costs after you burn it out. <laughs> I think it was about $4,000. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. And that was money I didn't have. So it was it was a very rough situation. And uh, I did get I, I did get the engine replaced. It was a rebuilt engine uh for a very similar model of the car and uh was it just uh, off by a couple of years and it never really ran quite the same after that the it was certainly a compatible engine but it wasn't really perfect and i ended up having to replace the car eventually anyway those are the consequences of not doing all the maintenance that you need to do. Uh, another thing that you want to do is drive carefully so that there's less of a chance of something happen happening. Of course, you can't control other drivers on the road, but you should always be aware of what's going on around you and just drive carefully. And part of that is not always allowing other people to drive your car all the time. Uh, you know, in high school, I had, you know, use of my parents' car, and there were a few times that I let other people drive it. And that was probably not a great idea because I have no control over them, um, and you never know what's going to happen. You just want to always be safe. Oh, definitely. And I think another thing, too, it, that a lot of people might neglect is to keep it clean. You might be surprised at how important it is, and as far as maintenance goes, to keep your car clean uh, inside and outside. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a, a messy car just tends to lead to trouble down the road, even if it even if it doesn't make sense right now. I mean, what's the big deal if I have, you know, wrappers on the floor of the car? And, and really, there's there's no big immediate deal. It's just better to, you know, maintain the car. It's not going to affect anything on the mechanical side by having a dirty car. But the process of keeping it clean is just a good maintenance behavior. And it all plays into making sure that you're always taking care of everything that needs to be take, taken care of. And plus, if you ever need to sell the car down the road and, you know, upgrade or replace it or have to go, you know, have to get rid of the car and have to sell it to save some money, then having it clean throughout, having it properly maintained throughout will keep that value as high as possible. Now, everybody knows that the value of a car um, goes down greatly if you buy one new. Uh, but if you if you have if you buy a used car and maintain it well, uh, better than the previous owner, you may even be able to sell the car for more than you bought it for. Yeah, that's a nice dream. Yeah. Cars are rarely an appreciating asset. <laughs> no, but if you buy one that's in bad condition and you know how to fix it up and you know how to take care of it, you, that's true. You can turn that effort into profit in the long run. It's just really, it's a lot of work and it's rare for that to happen because cars will go down in value over time, you know, all things considered. Yeah, I, I like to think of my car just as a big purchase. Yeah. Rather than any sort of a an investment or, or something. But it's, it's a purchase that you have to take care of. Oh, definitely. For sure. And you do need to take good care of it. And along with that, if something does go wrong on the car, if there is a problem, you need to get it fixed immediately as quickly as you can. Uh, one of the things that uh, makes sense is 
one of the reasons why we talk about, you know, have some sort of an emergency fund is so that you can take care of things. Uh, your car repair is probably one of the biggest things that you're likely to use an emergency fund for. Uh, just because getting your car fixed as quickly as possible is important because it can turn, you know, that, that $200 problem that you're saying, I don't want to fix it. That's too expensive. That $200 problem can turn into a $5,000 nightmare if you're not careful. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the things that we can do right now to prepare for the responsibility of buying and owning a car? So the first thing is to use a calculator, try and figure out how much a car will really cost you. And you can use various calculators online that will help you figure out what a car loan will cost you so that you can see the difference between paying in cash and what you're going to pay if you borrow. And then don't forget to add maintenance and insurance. We didn't talk about insurance, but if you buy a car, you have to insure it as well. And that can get expensive too. Yeah. These are eye opening things. Um, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned insurance, which we haven't talked about specifically, but, um, when it comes to driving carefully, hopefully that will mean you're avoiding accidents and avoid Avoiding accidents will certainly keep your repair and insurance costs down. Um, if you're younger, you're going to be paying more for insurance because you're a higher risk. You haven't been proven to have a good driving record yet. Um, so insurance costs should go down over time if you are careful and if you avoid accidents and, and problems that come with owning a car. Yeah, but definitely start out by doing your research and understanding how much that car is really going to cost before you start moving forward. Uh, and then the next thing to do is start saving up. Uh, whether you save up for the car itself, you figure out how much it's going to cost. Well, save up for the cash or if you're going to finance, save up for a down payment. You should have something when you go in. Yeah, that'll definitely save you money in the long run um, and show that you're prepared for car ownership. Um, and you because if you need to qualify for a loan, uh, you need to have good credit. You want to check your credit ASAP to fix anything that might be incorrect on those reports. You want to go in with the best credit score possible, as otherwise you'll be spending a lot of unnecessary money. So if something needs to be fixed in your credit report, take care of it right away. Yeah. And then finally, as you mentioned before, if you find a car that you like, uh, download the manual and read it. Download that user manual online and read it. Uh, double check, see what kind of maintenance it is. Some cars require more maintenance than others. And if you are not in a position to afford the maintenance on your dream car, then, you know, maybe you wait on your dream car and get something else that's a little, uh, little lower maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, there are certain brands that cost a whole lot more than other brands when it comes to uh, when it comes to um, uh, replacing parts or maintaining or keeping the car in good shape. Yeah. So we have a listener question and this listener question is all things being equal. How do I decide which brand of car to buy? So, yeah. How, how do you make that decision? Well, the first place that I turn to has has been Consumer Reports. I think they have they they take an approach different than other magazines where they they go to dealers. They actually buy the cars that they're testing and uh, the dealer has no idea that they're 
coming from Consumer Reports. They believe that they're just any other customer. And this way, the reviews are a lot more unbiased. You know, instead of like a magazine that would go to a dealer, say, we're reviewing the car, they provide one that you know, that they're sure is going to work properly and is the the best they have to offer. Here, Consumer Reports actually goes through the process as if they are a consumer. Um, and they get lots of input from readers in terms of re- reliability over time. And that is such a great benefit because it gives you a real sense of how these cars perform over time. Now, of course, there's always a variable if you're buying a new car um, because over time it hasn't happened yet. So, So, you know, you have to kind of go by past history, which may not always be accurate, but at least with Consumer Reports, you get a good idea of what reliability is going to be and reliability and true cost to own. And these are all things that you have to consider when picking out a certain brand. Now, brands themselves, these companies would prefer you just go by, you know, personality and style. Uh, Style is such a huge thing. And that is why, you know, we have stereotypes of people who drive certain branded cars, like someone who's really a hippie would drive a Prius, for example, or or a Volkswagen, you know, an old Volkswagen bus or something like that. And there are certain brands that are just associated with certain types of people. And we try to ignore that as much as possible and just figure out which car is going to be the best for you. I'm not particularly brand loyal, at least I try not to be, but I have found, uh, you are, know, through are both your cars, Hondas, my cars are both Hondas, you know, every, every <laughs> car, the, the lately, the last, for, for the last 10 years or so I've owned Honda cars. Um, it's, is it because I'm brand loyal? Is it because I do the research and find that most of the time Hondas are more reliable than other cars for the, for the price that they're at. And I think both have something to do with it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just being aware of, of all of that that goes into play. You have the research on one side and do what you can to find the best value for the money. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point that you make that uh, we, we like to think about things in terms of style and personality. And there's a lot to be said for brand loyalty. But at the same time, you, you do need to be willing to do what's best for you. So on that note, we would like to invite you to come check us out, adulting.tv. We've got plenty of resources to help you better adult every day on our website, adulting.tv. We've got videos, articles. And, and some extra things that you can use to help you in your journey. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you have a question, send it in. We love to read your reviews and answer your questions. We'll answer them either on the website, in a video, or on the podcast. And until next week, enjoy being an adult. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv.